Welcome to Inside Vancouver Opera, a brand new companion audio series to support our main stage productions. My name is Ashley Daniel Foote, Vancouver Opera's new Manager of Partnerships and Engagement. This episode celebrates Orfeo ed Euridice, Gluck's timeless opera of love and devotion. It's directed and choreographed by Idan Cohen, and it celebrates not only opera, but contemporary dance. Orfeo marks our first collaboration with Nesan's Opera and Dance, and the Dance Center. Maestro Leslie Dalla conducts the Vancouver Opera Orchestra and Chorus in a truly dazzling production. I asked our resident opera expert, Leah Field, to talk about how this opera was so new for its time. Stylistically, the opera represents the move from that very florid Baroque musical style to one of, I guess, what we can call comparative restraint. Director Idan Cohen talks about what makes this opera so unique. It's a dance performance within an opera or an opera within a dance performance. The aesthetic values are different. And in this meeting point between that world of Gluck's Orfeo et Uridice and our world of contemporary dance, magic happens. And to hear how that magic happens, we took a trip to rehearsal with maestro Leslie Dalla as he spoke with Christina Zabo, Michele Bell, and Mireille Asselin in a roundtable about the magic of this work and how they've approached their roles. Let me go around the room. I'm going to start with Mireille Bell singing Orfeo. Um, Orfeo is often called one of the repertoire's greatest trouser roles. Tell our audience what the term means and why it is that this happened. <laughs> well, a trouser role is... Um is usually a youngish boy, so not, I mean, not too young, but let's say late teens, early 20s. It's played by women. Some of the things that people apparently back in the day found very erotic was to see the shape of a woman's legs because it was extremely, you didn't see them. So women were suddenly put in trousers and it became a very, um, very exotic and erotic thing for the audience. So people who really want you to do a very masculine portrayal when actually the idea was that it is a woman and that's what's so peak, that gives right. it the peak, you know, that's what's Exciting about it. And in actual fact, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the original version was written, would have been written for a castrato. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't take too much of a guess for people to figure out what that means. But they, yeah. they were like <laughs> the, uh, the big stars of opera in those days. They were literally rock stars, right? Mm. I mean, oh, totally. Farinelli, like that yes. movie really kind of typifies the, yeah. the adulation. But we don't do that anymore. So, Christina. How do you say, how, what is your character's name? Teach us. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't have to say my own name in this opera. Eudidice. Eudidice. So you can practice that at home. Eudidice. Your character starts the opera as dead. Yep, you know. How did Eudidice die? Well, on her wedding day, oh, she man. stepped on a viper and got bitten. And she died from the poison. Wow. I know, bummer. <laughs> but uh, how does it feel to play a dead person? Well, she comes alive by the time I sing, so... Indeed. Yeah, so fortunately, my dead portion of the opera, I'm, it's not me. It's a cast of you. They're going to do a cast of me, so I can be in my dressing room enjoying wow. um, some resting time until I come back to life. So dead feels great. Dead yeah. feels great. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And Mimi, this is, I must share this with the audience, too. <laughs> this was great. It's not often you have a cast with two... <laughs> people named Mireille. And in earlier exchanges, Mireille Asselin wrote and said, uh, by the way, when Mireille Lebel and I are in the same show, she's Mireille and I'm Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that was a real easy way to, to uh, keep everything simple. So Mimi, this is for you. You are Amore. Tell us about Amore and Amore's role in the, uh, in the story of this opera. I think it's 
really interesting that in uh, this telling of the Orfeo myth, which has been set so, so many times, it's one of the most popular stories in opera, that amore, which means love, it's the god of, of love, god, it could be Cupid, mm -hmm. is, is the only god who is in this, in this story. Usually, I mean, this is, this is classic mythology, there's gods everywhere, <laughs> and in other tellings of the story, Orpheus Orf goes into the underworld and meets all of these other gods and has exchanges with them and sings to them and plays to them, and that's sort of a huge integral part of the journey. But in, in this opera, love is the only god that we see on stage and is essentially the most important god and, and serves as a messenger for, for Jove and, and, other, and other sort of godly figures, but is the most important kind of puppeteer yeah. in this particular telling of the story. And I think that's, it must be on purpose. And one of the reasons that mythology is so enduring is that it, it provides these amazing reflections and metaphors for real human emotion and real real life and so i think the point is love is powerful love is this kind of like you know, blinding force that gets us into all sorts of predicaments but can also get us out of all sorts of predicaments so sometimes it can be be performed in a kind of classic Cupid way. It's a young boy who kind of prances around. It can be a pants roll. In fact, like mm -hmm. Nihelebed was explaining earlier, it's often played by a woman, but um, playing a boy. In this production, it's not going that direction. It really is this powerful god who is sort of like sensual and all-knowing and, and guides not only the characters through what they need to do, but also guides the audience through the story because Orpheus and Eurydice are really kind of reacting and portraying these emotions throughout and they're they're emoting constantly and going through these really hard things and the the character of love shows up and is sort of like this is what has happened to you this is what you must do to get out of it I see you suffering and I'm going to bestow my sort of omnipotent power to get you out of this situation here's your path out of this and really is sort of this classic days ex machina character at the end too just who comes and sort of saves the day and and makes everyone happy again so although we don't see love all the time on stage she does come in at crucial moments to sort of give us plot points and make sure everything goes according to plan are you the mastermind of the plan well, I guess that will be up to the audience <laughs> to decide. You're just toying, you're just yeah, toying with right. us. Yeah, you keep saying, oh yeah, by the way, Jove and Jupiter, exactly, they do this exactly. and this, but we never really but meet it, them. We never yeah. see them, so yeah, maybe, true. who knows if they're exactly. involved at all. It could just be my, my little plot. <laughs> I like that. And for our audience, Mythology 101, just to recap that the whole premise is that um, your character, Amore, tells Orfeo, you actually have a chance to save your beloved Eurydice. You can go to the underworld if you can find your way through the gates of hell, basically. Mm -hmm. You're on your own, and if you can bring her back, you can do it as long as you don't look at her. That's mm, the catch, that's right. right? That's the catch. That's the big catch. The big catch. So let's not give away what happens, <laughs> but just to, for, for people following along. Mm -hmm. um, Going back to the sort of singing side of things, uh, Mireille Lebel, Orfeo again, what are the unique vocal and acting challenges that singing this type of role brings? Uh, I think, well, the vocal challenge is just that it's, it's very long, so you need a lot of stamina, and also um, the acting challenge for me is always, it's, it's kind of like almost a weight shift. Um, 
And I try to like film myself a little bit when I'm, I mean, I mostly sing trouser rolls, but um, I film myself because I feel I'm acting so masculine and I'm not kind of like prancing around. So I, there's this shift where I have to like get deeper in my, like my weight has to be lower. I have to kind of remove some floofy arm gel. There's just things that I have to pare down. Um, funnily enough, it's not as, when you're playing a woman who's tough, that comes naturally, but somehow playing a trouser roll just takes longer to really get in there. Don't know why. Maybe it's because it's young boys. So they're also they have a, they have a sweetness and an innocence as well, right. you know. But, For our Vancouver audiences, um, I think many people would have seen you in 2017. I think it was. It was the oh, first Caribbean. time you and I worked together, yes, exactly. Caribbean, yeah. in the Playhouse. Yes. And I remember saying to you one night after a performance that during I think it was near the end of Act One when you get caught and the count's going to kick you out and everything <laughs> and behind the chair and I said oh my god I couldn't take my eyes off you you looked really like a, a boy you were fidgeting so much and it was <laughs> like this kind of thing so I I know you play the you know the male roles really really well yeah. as a physicality so but this is obviously a very different kind exactly. of thing exactly he's a more of a the, well he's a, the lover yeah, so yeah, it's more yeah, yeah. it's less physical comedy I mean I wish we could put some in no I'm just kidding <laughs> it would be inappropriate yeah. no but there, there's less physical comedy and so it's it's finding that stoic lover thing and, and the masculinity, yeah. you know. Christina, over to you. Talk about the journey of love that your character goes on when she sees her husband again and he won't look at you. What does this work have to say about the true nature of love? <laughs> I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, I was, I have two minds uh, for you to see because on the one hand, you know, she's... She, their love is not deep enough that she, when he tells her something, she doesn't trust hmm. to follow him and just follow instructions, you know? I wouldn't want her in a hostage situation. Like, she, she doesn't trust? She doesn't trust. There's, no, there's, no there's no trust. She, yeah. she needs to have him look at her yeah. in order for her to believe that he loves her. That's right. So that, to me, feels like a young love, like a love that has not deepened with age. Um, and so I, that part I'm a little irritated by. I'm like, just follow the instructions and things <laughs> will turn out. But no, where would we have, where would the right, offer go right. without that? On the other hand, you know, do you have to blindly trust? So there, for me, it's more of a, tr a, tr a trust, trust thing. Yeah. But it feels like a little bit of uh, that young love, uh, maybe her own insecurities as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. With well, it. to be yeah. fair, I mean, you said that you did, you, I mean, the character died on their wedding night. So, I mean, how yeah. could that relationship it, yeah. sort of, you it know, was no, it was yeah. very yeah. fresh. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, the other point being, not only can Orfeo not look at you, but he can't tell you why he can't look at you. Exactly. Otherwise, it gives away the game. So it's like death either way. <laughs> back to back to the person who's really running the show. I'm <laughs> Mimi. Um, you've spent five seasons at the Met and pre performed eleven productions with Opera Atelier, which is really quite amazing. Uh, reflect on the journey if you can, and tell us what still entrances and delights you about the profession of opera. <laughs> I I mean. I like to say that opera, the thing that drew me to it is that it was the, the medium through which I could kind of channel a ton of different interests. It was like the melting pot of, of all these things that I found interesting. You know, it was the, the history, the languages, the sort of musicology of, of stuff, the physical demands of being a singer and the kind of never-ending journey that presents, especially as you 
age your instrument being your body you just sometimes you wake up one day and you're like oh I have a slightly different voice than I did yesterday and how do you work your way through that so it was it's really a never a a complete task and it's it's an art form that's absolutely insisted that I stay on my toes that I keep growing as a human and as an artist and stay in touch with myself and other people around me and I think that that's been a real privilege and one that feels all the more precious after having it sort of disappear for for a year and a half to two years during the pandemic and so coming back to it now feels like you know even even more so than before, something that I don't want to take for granted because it's really such a, a unique, wonderful job to Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mireille, what moment do you look forward to most in the opera and why? Mm, I love this. I mean, it's a beautiful score, um, but I especially like when he goes to hell. It's such beautiful oh, music. Music is amazing. It's extraordinary, and uh, it's a big chorus act, and... Um, that's going to feel amazing, right? Just after, like, again, post-COVID, having 20 singers surrounding you and singing at you, mm-hmm. you just feel enveloped, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very touching music. I mean, he, yeah, he has to, Orfeo has to manage to get through them before he can get to Eurydice. So he, Eurydice, so he pulls out all the stops, and it's, I think, Gluck pulled out all the stops. <laughs> yeah, he did. If I'm not mistaken, it's the first time that trombones were used in the pit Mm -hmm. because of course they were used like in requiem music and sacred music all the time Mm -hmm. but in the theater there i'm sure some incarnations of earlier trombones in monteverdi and that sort of thing but you know like one thinks of of the power of say don giovanni where you have trombones suddenly but guess where he got the idea it's it's this piece Uh, and when they when they do play it's it's incredible because the original in the first scene it's it's your funeral music really like and that's and they do what they would do if it was like a requiem kind of Mm. thing so Mm. yeah that's very cool yeah the hell music is amazing Uh although we're doing the original version 1762 we have inserted the dance of the furies which is Mm. probably one of the most famous selections from this piece which was added for the Paris production 12 years later but uh, it's amazing and the, the, um, I've seen the choreography that Idan is doing and it's like fantastic the showstopper so I'm super excited about that yeah. moment as well um, Christina you're based here in Vancouver now you are a, a professor of voice and opera at UBC um, I like this question a lot I didn't write this so this is uh, Ashley wrote this so I'm giving you cred <laughs> what is a conversation you seem to have all the time with your voice students mm. they're like what is a singer coming of age in 2021 have to contend with everything all the things yeah. it feels like um, I mean a brave new world because on the one hand the music making the art artistry the process is still the same but that we've had to broaden our skills um, in this digital age. There's a lot more innovation, which is exciting, scary for me, but um, but for the young, uh, I think uh, there's fre- there's a freshness. You know, they they're willing to to try all the new things. But it, I do feel. Um, a responsibility to prepare them for what comes next but in in a lot of ways I don't know what comes mm-hmm. next for any of us so there's this unknown so th- I'm just so grateful that um, well I'm not going to get emotional that they still want to study voice mm-hmm. that Aww. it still has value yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's important 
it's mm. still important. I appreciate the sincerity and the depth of that. It's so mm. true, right? It, it is important. I mean, for us, it's life and death. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gone into this. Maestro Les Dalla talking with Christina Zabo, Michele Bell, and Michele Aslan, the stars of Vancouver Opera's glittering new production of Orfeo et Euridice, live on stage and in person at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre on December 4th and 5th. For tickets and information, visit vancouveropera.ca. We also had the chance to talk with Vancouver Opera General Director Tom Wright about the rest of the 2021-2022 season. We are thrilled to continue Vancouver Opera's 21-22 season with a concert version, semi-staged, with visual enhancements of Cavalleria Rusticana, conducted by Vancouver Opera's music director emeritus Jonathan Darlington. The reason why we chose Cavalleria Rusticana was really to celebrate our ensembles, the Vancouver Opera Orchestra and the Vancouver Opera Chorus. They'll be on stage, they'll be situated in such a, a location that you can see everybody, which you cannot always do with the orchestra especially. We've also entered into a partnership with Emily Carr University in working with their design graduates to assist us in coming up with appropriate design elements. I think the really exciting part of the season is, of course, our last show, Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore. We selected this specifically because we believe that we'll be close to being out of the pandemic uh, at that point, and we really want our audiences to come and have a good laugh, enjoy a night out, and leave the theatre smiling. We have a great director, Brenna Corner, graduate of the Yolanda M. Ferris Young Artist Program. We're very excited about our last show. We're also very excited that uh, beginning in January is the Yolanda M. Ferris Young Artist Program, which will run from beginning of January through middle of June. We'll be having a, an opportunity for our young artists to present their scenes in mid-March. And then in the middle of June, we will be presenting outdoors at the Hoaklaken Plaza, in front of the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, the fruits of their labor for six months of training. That's Vancouver Opera's General Director Tom Wright. You can find out more about our exciting 2021-2022 season at vancouveropera.ca. My name's Ashley Daniel Foote. It's been a pleasure meeting you, and I look forward to seeing you again to be continued. See you at the opera. <laughs>